Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability. Content warning. The opinions, language, and discussion expressed in Disability After Dark may be explicit. Listener discretion advised. Do you want to keep the conversation lit around sex and disability? Want to spark a conversation about something you heard on the show? Feel like shining some light on an issue that I haven't even thought of? You can do all that and get the inside scoop on what happens in my brain after dark by following me on Twitter at Andrew Gerza, that's A-N-D-R-E-W-G-U-R-Z-A. And be sure to use the hashtag DisabilityAfterDark all over your social media so we can shine light on sex and disability together. Want to find out more about Disability After Dark, Disability Awareness Consulting, and me, Andrew Gerza? Head on over to the shiny, sexy, new www.andrewgerza.com. There you'll find the podcast, my blogs, and my press kit so you can hire me to bring Disability After Dark and Disability with Drew to your event, conference, or community group. Let's do disability together. Hello, hello. Thank you so much for clicking on episode 8 of Disability After Dark. I'm so happy that you decided to join us and you want to have these conversations around sex and disability with me and you want to shed light on sex and disability and go deeper into the conversation than ever before. You know what's awesome, guys? This podcast has only been live for about three weeks now, actually three weeks today, and we've already made it up to 437 downloads of the podcast so 437 downloads of the first seven episodes which are available on itunes google play and my website andrewgerza.com and i'm so so excited that people are listening and want to really have a conversation about this stuff this means that these conversations are long overdue and i'm glad that i'm able to bring them to light and share it with you and share my ideas around sexuality and disability with you i think it's so great that you want to hear this stuff so please Subscribe, click, tell your friends, and let's get the let's shed some more light on sex and disability with other people. So as you guys know, the goal of this program for me is to go deeper into disability than ever before, especially around sexuality and disability. And for the program today, for this particular episode, I have a topic that I really want to be really personal about, be really honest about, and talk about when it comes to sexuality and disability, which is something I don't think we talk about enough this particular topic, and I'm excited to share it with you. So let me share the topic with you right now. The title of this episode is Why We Need to Talk About Dudes, Disability, and Sexual Depression. So I want to explore the real issues that come about when we talk about sex and disability. For me, it's more than just the physical aspects of of sex and disability. There's an entire emotional component that needs to be uncovered and talked about. Nobody really talks about how sexuality and disability feels. That's my favorite, that's kind of my my second tagline is instead of go deep, it's how does it feel? I really want to explore the emotional components and the emotional realities of sexuality and disability. As I'm sure by episode eight, you guys can tell that's kind of my niche and what I want to really talk about. But I think we need to look at how sex and disability feels for the disabled person and what the emotional responses are to that and how that affects us and how lack of sex and a desire for sex can make us feel and how 
we need to really, really talk about that more because it can lead to depression that is very specific to disability. And that's something that I have gone through and, and continue to go through trying to navigate these waters of sex and disability. And I want to share my experience with you. It is my ultimate hope that this conversation around sex, disability, and depression will help other cripples feel, who feel this way feel validated and will give the community, our sexual community, something bigger to think about disability than they may have realized. So I want people to understand how sexuality and disability and depression are connected and how they feel and, and how, how people with disabilities deal with depression differently than, than most people and why. That is, and how sexuality plays a role in that, and how sexual depression can be really, really deep and really, really tough to navigate. So I'm going to share my personal experiences around being queer, disabled, and, and dealing with depression, and deal and how that affected me, and why I think it's so important that we keep talking about it. So you're going to get to go deep into my experience of disability, sexuality, queerness, and depression. And you're going to get to know more about me than I think you probably realized you were going to know. But I want to really be honest with you because I think these conversations never happen and they're really, really important. So when I was in college, around the first or second year of my master's degree, I decided to go see the health counselors at the clinic in college. And I was really, really nervous to do that. I didn't want to really do it, but I was having some issues. I was feeling really low about my experience of being queer and disabled, and I wanted to share. I had all this stuff that I wanted to talk about, so I thought, okay, they're going to provide me with some answers. I'm feeling this way. I'm feeling really awkward about being queer and disabled. I'm feeling like I have nowhere to turn, and I want to go and get some answers, so I'm going to go to the clinic, and I'm going to talk about this. Now, this took some convincing of myself to do because I, I believed that I was crazy. I believed that why why do I need counseling? Nothing's really wrong. I'm just having all these feelings. Why do I need to go talk to somebody about it? Why, why, why? I really don't need to. I'll figure it out myself. For a long time, what I convinced myself was that all of this stuff, all these feelings I was having and all these experiences I was having were normal things that happen to us when we're young and when we're trying to navigate sexuality, whether we live with a disability or not, the experiences of rejection and the experiences of being told no about things and being told you're not cool enough and being told you're not sexy and being told all these things were normal and these were normal rites of passage that everybody else was going through and I had to kind of just deal with it. But what I what I failed to really realize until it was happening to me was that nobody else was dealing with the way I was dealing with disability and all this stuff. Nobody had disability as an extra thing to worry about when trying to navigate their sexuality and their expression of sexuality. So being rejected on the basis of disability and being rejected on the basis of all those things, I had a different experience and I wasn't sure where to go and I wasn't sure who to talk to about it. And I felt like I needed some answers and I needed some help. The experiences of being rejected so openly and so consistently as a result of my disability and being told, oh, hey, man, you're in a chair. I don't think I can deal with this. Or, hey, man, you're disabled. I'm not sure what to do. Or, hey, man, I just don't do wheelchairs. All of those things that I hear all the time because of my disability, they greatly affected how I saw myself. 
how I felt about my queerness and my disability. It really, really took a toll on how, on my identity and how I would navigate the world and how I felt about things. And for a long while, I didn't feel okay with this connection between my disability and my queerness. I didn't feel all right having these two worlds constantly colliding. And every time I attempted to access these spaces and access these spaces where queer men were or or gay people were, I felt like my disability was getting in the way of my expression of sexuality a lot of the time. Um, and I put in a lot of effort to put myself out there and be part of these communities because I wanted to be seen. But a lot, And so a lot of the time when I was rejected in front of people at bars, I was told no because of my disability. On apps, I was told no. In at parties, I was told no. In the middle of sex with people, I was told no. And so a lot of the time, I swallowed it down. I swallowed down this pain and I swallowed down this hurt that I was feeling around being constantly rejected. And I told myself, again, that this is something everybody goes through. You just have to deal with it and move on. And I was worried that if I didn't put myself in these spaces, that I was going to miss out. I had huge FOMO over um, not being there and not being seen and not being accepted, not being understood. So I constantly put myself in these spaces. But every single time I did that, I was exhausted. I was angry. I didn't want to really be there because I knew that even if I tried, I'd get rejected. And it really, really hurt me. It really, really made me feel upset all of the time. I was so angry that none of the things that I had wanted and none of the things that I had expected of the queer experience were coming together as a result of my disability and as part of my disability. And so for a long time, I blamed my disability and all these things. And I was really, really angry, but I was really good at hiding it. And I hid it for a long time and I swallowed it down. And I never told anybody and I always put a smile on my face and I always made sure that I was really, that I looked okay with it, but I was never really okay with it. I was actually really suffering inside and I had no one to talk to. I wrote a blog for my new website about the experience of disability, depression, and queerness called Why We Need to Talk About Queerness, Disability, and Depression on my website, andrewgerza.com. You can read it up over there. But I want to read an excerpt for you about my experience with trying really hard to be seen in the community and, and what the effects that had on me as a person with disabilities and as a queer man with disabilities. I want to share with you an excerpt from that, so I'll do that now. When I was a young disabled kid, I was told by everyone around me to speak up for myself and to go after what I want. I learned that I had to do this to be seen and to be heard. To be taken seriously as a disabled person, I had to be obtuse about it. I had tried to apply this same principle of directness to dating dudes well disabled. I was dismayed to learn almost every time that asking for what I wanted, standing up for myself as a young queer cripple, didn't work in this arena. I was knocked down by ableism time and time again, each time the guy couching his ableist rhetoric in unawareness and honesty. They would tell me that they were telling me the truth and being real with me about how my disability affected them. They'd say this in easy, easy tones as if I should be thankful to them for hurting me. They could care less about how their words affected me, leaving a bigger scar than the last. I'll share with you some more insights on that, but first I want to do a little promo from some friends of mine who did an ad for me. So, listen to this ad for Disability After Dark, and we'll be right back. 
Hi, my name is Darren, and I listen to Disability After Dark, the podcast shining a bright light on sex and disability. So yeah, the truth of the matter was I was just so upset. I was just so angry that I would be ghosted by people, that they wouldn't show up, that that I was stood up all the time, or that I was told to my face by people that I was really, really interested in spending time with that, no, sorry, it's your disability, I can't deal with this. And this kind of stuff, like I said, I swallowed it down for a long time. I didn't tell people about it for a long time, and I convinced myself, and was convinced also by friends of mine at the time, that these were regular, normal rites of passage that everybody went through when you're dating. And it's okay to be, you know, this is what, the rejection is part of it. You just kind of pick up and move on. That only works for a certain point until you realize that every single time you're being rejected, sometimes you're rejected in the throes of, in the middle of trying to get off with somebody. They'll stop and say, oh no, I can't do this, I'm out, because of your disability. That stuff really cuts you deep to the core as a disabled person. It really, really hurts. And I've never been more hurt than when to be told that by somebody in the middle of sex. And that kind of depression and that kind of feeling is something that only people with disabilities and that experience can know really, really and truly. And it, it bothered me so much that I was watching everybody else around me have these moments with people and me being like, when is it going to be my turn? When, do, when will I get what I deserve? And when will this, when will I get to experience this? And when, when? And it bothered me that sex for me only happened three, every three to four months, sometimes longer than that. Um, there was a period of time recently where I went for 10 months without sex, not for lack of trying, but because of disability-related stuff. And it just, the pain of not being able to access that made me resent my disability. It made me resent myself. I went through a really dark time of trying to get out of that and trying to explain it to people and having nobody really get it. Nobody really understood what that was like for me and that really, really was hard. It was really, really hard. I think it's important that I lay bare the fact that I have never been angry that I am disabled. Never. I don't think that the experience of disability angers me. What angers me is that when I try to access these experiences of queerness and disability, and I try to share that intersection of my experience with others in a sexual and dating context, I am constantly rebuked and constantly told no and constantly denied. That hurts so much more. It's never been, it's never been the experience of disability that's upset me. It is how the experience of disability for me has been received by others that angers me so much. Because I go in, like I said in that quote, as a young kid I was taught to stand up for myself and to always put myself out there and to always try and to always tell people who I was and to always go out there and do, do go first to do it, to be independent. So when I realized that, that that ideology didn't translate well into my dating world, that really hurt because we're taught to try. We're taught to go out and be strong and, and independent, disabled people. This is what we're taught. Queer, queer people are taught this too. We're taught to, to slough off the hatred and the, the bigotry that we're constantly faced with and go and be strong and be who we are and don't let anybody, anybody put out the lights in us and all this stuff. And then we go do this within our communities and we are rejected for 
whatever reason, because we don't look a certain way, we don't act a certain way, we're not good enough this way, and our community is telling us this, telling us that we don't really fit, and that is a, that is a pain that I think queer and disabled people have in common, and that really hurts, can really, really hurt, and really, really have an effect on us, and it certainly did for me when I was trying to figure all this out for myself. I was also really angry then that, you know, this, this idea of queerness that I had had in my head, that I had built up for myself, that I had expected to be my reality, wasn't coming true, and why couldn't I have it, and it's not fair that I have to work so hard just to get somebody to see me, and it was really, really painful for me to swallow that down, but I really convinced, like I said, I convinced myself that this was a rite of passage, and this was okay, until I realized that none of my other friends we're going through this, and none of my other friends had to deal with this constant, blatant, ableist rejection strategies that I'd be dealing with, and it was just a really, really tough time for me. I felt as though I had no one that I could really turn to in my communities and tell my stories to. Every time I did tell my friends, they would pause and go, oh man, that really sucks, I'm so sorry, I never realized that, I never thought about it, it's never something that really crossed my mind. I just really felt like I had no one who understood what it was that I was trying to navigate and how I really felt, even though I had a good support system of great friends who were there for me, every time I brought up these moments that I was feeling and these issues that I was having as a queer disabled man, I would be again met with a genuine ignorance and, and just having never thought about it at all for my community. So I'd say, oh, a guy said this, blah, blah. And they would say, oh, I never even realized you were going through that. I'm so sorry. I never thought about that. I never considered that that way. Sorry about that. So it really threw me for a loop that even though I was telling my stories, they were falling on, on people that couldn't really understand. And that was hard for me to deal with as well. That really played a toll for me in how I navigated all this stuff and this experience of queerness and disability, really feeling like I was going it alone. So there I was sitting in this, in this therapist's office, actually multiple therapist offices, because I tried therapy a few times in my life to deal with this stuff. I was dying, to be honest, as a queer cripple, and I wanted to share the experience with somebody who I thought could help. I really decided at some point that I needed professional guidance, and I just wanted somebody to talk to and tell my story to and hope that they would have something to contribute to make me feel better and to bring me out of this funk that I felt was directly related to my disability and my queerness. And it was denying all of these feelings that I was having were denying me access to a part of myself that I really wanted. And I wanted other people to share in that with me too and see that that experience with me. And I needed to get it out to, to try to find tools to develop my identity as a queer disabled man. And I felt like if I went to a therapist's office, I could do that. So I'm sitting there and I'm pouring my heart out to the therapist and I'm telling them about all the rejection, about all the guys, about how I can't get into accessible spaces. And I'm really, really being super honest with her about what it is that my life is. And I'm just telling her everything because I have all these things bottled up that I haven't really told anybody and the feelings that I have are really prevalent. And I wanted to share everything because I wanted her to know everything so we could move forward. And after I told her, one or two very specific stories about my experience of queerness and disability. She looked me dead in the eyes and I was like, okay, 
she's gonna now come up with this great answer for me, and it's gonna be settled. Now, I never thought, and I never believed that this would happen in one session, but I thought, okay, something's gotta give here. She's gonna tell me something I need to know. She's gonna have a great idea for me about this. She's had experience, and, and so I was ready to um, get this really life-affirming, life-changing answer from her, and she put down her pen after she'd been scribbling down what I've been saying rather furiously, so I was ready for her to, like, really come at me with a great response. She goes, you know, I never thought about that before. And I just did a little internal sigh with myself and went, oh, okay. And so I had to, again, reiterate to her what the experience was. And that was really hard. It was really dismaying to realize that I had to tell, I had to navigate with her through these experiences so she could understand. So after the therapist said this to me, after she said, oh, I never thought about it like that, every single time I would bring up something about my sex life and my queerness that I wanted to share with her, and every single time that I had an experience that only affected me as a queer, disabled person that I shared with her, she would say this to me. She'd say, oh, I never realized it like that before. I never considered that. And she'd pause, and I would kind of smile sheepishly and go, oh, yeah, yeah, this is what happened, and I wouldn't want to offend her. I'd just stay very polite and very professional. But inside, I was freaking out, and I was angry because I didn't want to have to school her on this. I didn't want to have to go through this with her every single time. I wanted some concrete answers as to how I was feeling, and I wanted somebody to walk me through that feeling. I wanted them to walk through that with me and explore that. So I would spend a considerable amount of time sharing with my therapist these feelings and, and navigating her through the minefield of disability and queerness that I was experiencing. And she would have no answers for me. And that was really, extremely frustrating to go through every week. I stayed with therapy for a good year and a bit. And, and almost every week I was dealing with the same kind of ignorance. And I don't mean ignorance in a rude way. She was very polite and great in helping me talk through stuff. But every single time I wanted somebody to connect with the idea of my disability and queerness together and really have some sort of answers for me and some sort of understanding of what it was that I was dealing with, she wouldn't. It was blatant, genuine ignorance and constantly, oh, I never realized that. Oh, I wasn't aware. I never really thought of it like that before, Andrew. And I remember spending countless time with them telling my story, hoping that each time they would understand and hoping that each time the therapist would have a revelation with me where disability just made sense to them and they would have the answer for me and they never did and that was really, really tough on me and it really, really took a toll so that when things would happen to me week in and week out where I would try to access my sexuality as a queer disabled person and I would come back and I would share my experiences with the therapist, I would feel like I would have no recourse because they just didn't get it and that was really, really tough. That really took a toll on me and played a role in how I share my experiences of sexuality. And that's really and truly, if I think about it, why I started my work as a disability awareness consultant and why I started 
deciding to do freelance work and work on my own. This was Disability After Dark and Disability with Drew and the work that I did before that was really a manifestation of all these feelings I had around my experience and wanting to share them with somebody but having no one to guide me. So learning how I had to guide myself and doing this work has allowed for me to do that and allowed for me to get through a lot of this stuff on my own and build a community and meet other people who are going through what some of the stuff that I've gone through navigating my sexuality, my queerness, my access to sex, telling my story and having people respond to it in a way that therapy never really did for me. Therapy never really made it real for me because every single time I would have to start from scratch and that was really difficult. It was also really, really stressful for me to be in these spaces, these therapy, th these therapists' office, where you assume that you're going to be given help, and you assume that you're in this office to tell your story and helps on the way. But when it didn't come in the f at all, and you had to deal with ignorance like that, it was like you realized that these spaces actually were ableist, that these spaces that were supposed to help you couldn't help you, they had no resources for you, and that was extremely difficult for me to navigate. I was, instead of me being helped and getting the help that I needed to navigate my queerness and my disability, I was helping them just to see me, just to understand my experience, and that was exhausting. That was so tiring for me to do week in and week out. It was like they should have been paying me for therapy. So they could learn instead of me paying them to show them who I was. That was really hard. And I hated having to come back and wanting to tell somebody how I was being affected by trying to navigate sex and try to get dates and try to have sex and do all this and constantly being rejected and having to bring them into that experience every time as opposed to them already being there. That was hard for me to navigate. I don't really know how I did it. It was tough, and so I realized that conventional therapies never really worked for me. They just didn't work. I didn't want to spend 150 bucks an hour to show somebody who I was. That didn't make sense for me, and it was really hard for me to do that. But what I learned is that these spaces for disabled people, whether you're queer or not, telling your stories, they're ableist because they just don't know. They just don't understand, and we need spaces where disabled people can go and feel validated, can go and feel like their stories have weight and go and feel like their stories are important. And most importantly, they can go and feel like their stories are heard. It's important to remember that depression affects people with disabilities differently. It affects us much deeper. It affects us because we can simply go and try something new to shake off what we're feeling. A lot of what we're feeling has been internalized over and over and over again. And then on top of that, when you add queerness or any other type of intersection, it can be extremely difficult because it's so rare that we talk about these things, especially when they intersect with sexuality or disability or race and disability. Any kind of, any kind of other otherness on top of disability can make this depression so much harder and so much more difficult to navigate, when you, especially when you feel like you're alone. 
when it comes time for us as disabled people, as for myself as a queer cripple, to confront my own um, fears and all these things and bring it to therapy and talk to somebody and be honest about what was happening to me, we are met with a level of ignorance and ableism from professionals that we have spent ample time dismantling for them. We have to spend ample time dismantling and reconstructing our experiences for them so they understand it. And it's just such a difficult thing to go through all this stuff day in and day out and try to find the happiness and try to find the acceptance and try to feel okay in your body as a queer disabled person or as a disabled person of color or as somebody trying to trying to do all this and feel validated and have to constantly reiterate why you deserve to be heard. I think one of the biggest reasons why we feel the hurt and the effects of sexual ableism so much is because these things happen to us when we're vulnerable, when we're getting naked with a person, they haven't, they, they'll say something inappropriate, when we're trying to be romantic, they'll tell us we're too much, when we're trying to show them who we are and show them that we oftentimes don't get to experience a lot of this stuff. It happens to us when things that happen for able-bodied people or things that people don't experience disability, they take these things for granted. They take these little moments that we hold on to and cling on to for granted. And we, so when it happens to us where we are rejected and rebuked because of our disability, the pain of that sits really deep in our psyche. At least for me it does. It sits really deep in my experience, my well of experience, and it hurts me, cuts me to the core of who I am every single time these happen. Because it's like, why do I keep trying so hard to constantly be, to constantly be denied and constantly be told no? And this kills me. And then when I want to talk about it with somebody, I start to and I'm told that they don't understand. And it's just so painful to have to go through that experience without really being sure if somebody gets you and has your back on this and really feels it too. I honestly and strongly urge everybody to look into creating spaces where disabled people can express their discomfort. So many of us feel around our own bodies and disability. We all have a level of discomfort around our bodies, all of us, whether we're disabled or not. But I think disabled people are taught that we cannot be depressed about our bodies. We cannot be depressed about our sexuality. When, I, when, the, when any of these things happen to us that are perceived as good, as in we're having sex or we're being sexual. And whatever happens there, we should be really excited by it because we're getting it. We should, we should never be depressed because it's expected that we are to be depressed. So I find that a lot of disabled people hold it down and don't let people know how they're feeling. So we need spaces where we can talk about our bodies. We need spaces where I can tell you that I don't want to try so hard, trying so hard to be seen and trying so hard to be sexual, and trying so hard to be validated in those arenas is exhausting. It hurts so much to be try so hard and be told no every single time, or to be silently told no every single time. It's exhausting. It's really hard. We need spaces that allow us to be angry, that allow us to be scared, 
that allow us to laugh with others who experience the same ableist bullshit when they try to access sex. We need spaces like that, where we can just come in and talk and have a day about it. We need spaces that simply include us instead of trying to fill us into their frameworks. So we need therapies that are based around disability first. We need therapies that have disabled therapists at the, fr at the forefront of these discussions. I need a space where I can tell you that your, quote, honesty and your, quote, unawareness around disability is in fact ableism. I need a space where I can tell you what you did was really shitty and what you did was really crappy and I wish you hadn't ghosted me. And I need a space where I can tell you that all I wanted to do with you was show you who I was. Most importantly, I need a space where I can let go. I, I can simply be queer. I can simply be crippled. And I can simply be myself. There are so few spaces that put sex and disability first. And that's what I want to create. Physical spaces and virtual spaces. That's what disability and disability after dark is all about. Creating a space. And when I talk about this stuff and I share with you, it's because I know out there somewhere someone listening has gone through the same experience. And they may need somebody to validate them. So I hope that this discussion today allowed us to do that and allowed us to go deeper into sexuality and disability and really explore sex, disability, and the depression that can come from that in real time and be honest about it. So thank you for taking the time today, and thank you for listening. And thank you, of course, for letting me be real with you. Thanks for that. It means a lot to me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Disability After Dark, the podcast to shine a bright light on sex and disability. Copyright Notice the Disability After Dark podcast, including title, graphic, content, interview recordings, and title music, produced and recorded by Chris Ujiuchi, are property of Andrew Gerza. This podcast cannot be reproduced without permission from the owner. Disability After Dark with Andrew Gerza. Shining a bright light on sex and disability.